Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We will be looking at verses 57 through 80. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for every page that you've given us in your word. We thank you that it is all inspired by you and profitable for us that we might be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray that you would work in our hearts today as we hear your word, as we meditate on it. We pray that you would give us a greater understanding of who you are and what you've done for us. Fill our mouths with songs of praise in response and hearts that long to serve you in holiness and righteousness before you all our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A little over nine months has passed since that wonderful day when the angel Gabriel appeared in the temple to old priest, the old priest Zechariah, and, his, and it gave him an announcement that he and his barren wife, Elizabeth, would have a son in their old age, and that his name would be John. And this boy would be a special boy. He would grow up to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and children to their fathers. He would turn back hearts to God in repentance, and thus he would prepare the way of the Lord. But when Zechariah heard this great news, he considered his own weakness, his flesh, and his, his faith wavered, like Peter when he saw the waves. And for his unbelief, Gabriel told Zechariah that until these things take place, his mouth would be shut. Sure enough, his mouth was shut. And soon, old Elizabeth was pregnant for the very first time. And for nine months, Zechariah sat there reflecting in silence, thinking it might have been a good time for Elizabeth, actually, reflecting on the past, and but more importantly, if these things are coming true, he must be reflecting on Scripture, the promises of God, reflecting on what the future days hold in store. And now the day has come, the sunrise of salvation is about to rise to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Brothers and sisters, listen to what the Holy Spirit has recorded for us about these days and about God's salvation. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, 
they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word. Our passage this morning is in two parts. The story of the events surrounding John's birth and his naming. And secondly, Zechariah's song of praise. A story and a song, just like in our last passage. This is the way it is with God's work. God works, he visits, he fulfills, he saves, and we respond with singing and rejoicing and growing. And it is indeed a time of rejoicing. A child has been born to old Zechariah and Elizabeth. The days of their reproach have been rolled away. Gabriel said back in verse 14 that they would have joy and gladness, and he said, many will rejoice at his birth. So it happens, just as Gabriel said, Zechariah lost his voice, check. Old Elizabeth gets pregnant, check. She gives birth, check. Quick check, it's a boy, check. And then... 
her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Check. What about all the other promises then? Surely they will come to pass too. You look back over the Bible, you look back over your own life, and you will see that God has built up an irrefutable stack of evidence that he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do. So even now, as the first fruits of the promises are being fulfilled, Zechariah will be able to sing that of the salvation that's coming, as if it's already come, as if it's a certain fact, even before Jesus is born. God's faithfulness in the past should give us, too, all the more confidence to trust him today and cling to his promises for tomorrow. God has proven himself every time faithful. Brothers and sisters, we were singing of it today. Great is thy faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning with thee. God doesn't change. He fulfills his promises. I know that you are troubled this morning. So many of you with suffering, with difficulties, with wondering, with anxiety about the future. Let me remind you, your God is faithful. Look back at the past. He is good. He will be good tomorrow. He will be good always. And this his promises being fulfilled exactly as all help, helping us to build up our faith, to trust him, to walk with him. We might not be able to see the future. We don't know, but he knows. He knows where he's taking you. And we know in the, the big picture as well, he's revealed it. And it's a good story. Your story, the story of your life will end up quite well if you continue to walk with the Lord. And that is a great comfort. First of all, we see in this story God's faithfulness. What he says comes true. Secondly, we see God's mercy. That's the news that went out. Not simply a notice that a baby boy has been born, but what it says in verse 58, that the Lord had shown great mercy to this dear couple. So, too, we should notice God's great mercy in all the provinces that come upon us. <clears throat> well, Zechariah and Elizabeth were a godly couple. They were walked blamelessly in all of God's commandments. And one of those commandments given 2,000 years earlier to Abraham back in Genesis 17 was that the children born into Abraham's family were to be circumcised, the baby boys, circumcised on the eighth day. This was a sign of the, God's covenant of grace. It was at this time that God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Abraham himself was circumcised when he was 99. Ishmael was circumcised at 13. But then after that, in keeping the law, the boys were circumcised on the eighth day. This is this visible outward marking of God cleansing us, of God calling up, marking us out as his people. And so it was with anyone born into Abraham's family 
or anyone who wanted to join the family from outside. So it is today with us with baptism. Anyone who is born into the church is baptized, and anyone who wants to join the church from outside of it is also baptized. It's this marking, this cleansing, this one-time event showing that you are part of God's covenant community. It's a, a sign, a sacrament of the covenant of grace. And so it was no doubt with great joy that Zechariah and Elizabeth were able to bring their child uh, uh, and to be circumcised. At this time, uh, I'm, I read that a prayer was usually set, was said for the baby, usually mentioning the child's name with words like these. Our God and the God of our fathers, raise up this child to his father and mother and let his name be called in Israel, Zacharias, the son of Zacharias. And it is perhaps at this time during this ceremony that Elizabeth interrupts and says, no, his name shall be called John. And this caused a great stir among what I think is pretty pushy relatives because what's their how, why is it their business to name this child? But they, were, they wanted to name the child Zechariah after his father. When she said, no, it's going to be John, they were surprised first because he was not named after his father. But secondly, more so, none of the relatives were named John. And so they object. Uh, they objected to this name. Now, John's name means the Lord is merciful. It's a very appropriate name in light of the great mercy that God has shown to Zechariah and Elizabeth and the mercy he has in store in bringing them back to himself through John's preaching. Uh, but Luke doesn't draw out for us the meaning of the name. He doesn't emphasize that. What's rather emphasized is that God is the one who names this child. And when God does that some, several times throughout the Bible, it's always because there, this child has a special purpose in God's plan. God has a special ownership of the child, and this something good is going to happen through this child's work. So the relatives, in their obstinance, they signal to old Zechariah confusion and disbelief. And they, can you believe this? She wanted to name him John. And so he gets a little wooden tablet, probably covered with wax, and he scribbles in it firmly, not, we'd like to call him John, or even, he will be called John, but rather, his name is John. And it sounds, if you read it this way, it kind of sounds like the father's putting his foot down. This is what we're naming my child. But I think that's, that's not really what's happening these are the words not of a father putting his foot down, but the words of a person submitting to God. It is not Zechariah who names the child. His name is John because he was named John before he was even conceived. God named him. It was God through the angel Gabriel who named this child, and therefore, that is 
this boy's name. And so this is a sign of Zechariah's faith and also submission to what God willed for this child. Without objection or doubt, this is the fulfillment of Gabriel's words. And also in fulfillment of Gabriel's words in verse 20, at this time, God opens his mouth. Words pour out of Zechariah's mouth for the first time in more than nine months. Now, what would be the first thing you say after nine months of reflection and thought? Especially after you've seen amazing things in the temple, you probably have a lot to say. You've heard of Mary being pregnant. What's the first thing that he does? He publicly praises God. This is the main reason, brothers and sisters, why you even have a tongue. This is the main reason why God gave you a voice to praise God, to worship God. And this is what what Zechariah does the first moment he can do it. He publicly worships God. The last thing he was supposed to do when he stepped out of the temple that day, nine months earlier, was to bless the people. The first thing he does when he gets his voice back is he blesses God. And I think these words of blessing that we have in verse 67 on are are what he said then. But first, we are told of the effect of his, his words. Fear and wonder came on all those around, and the words spread throughout the hill country of Judea. Now, of course, any birth in a small town would be a, <clears throat> a topic of conversation, How much more in this case, with all these amazing events surrounding it? There was the vision in the temple, which now they get to hear about. Zechariah's inability to speak for nine months. His old barren wife getting pregnant. The unexpected name of the child. And Zechariah's mouth being opened in this amazing way. And the prophecies that came out of it. All of these filled the, temp- the people with wonder and anticipation. What then is this child to be? And I want you to notice this word, what. That is the word that is used in the Greek. It's what you see in your Bible, English, in English, no doubt. What will this child be? Not who will this child be, but what will he be? And this is one of the reasons why I titled this message The Who and the What and the Why of Salvation. John is not the who. John is part of the what. Who he is is not what's important here. Rather, what his role is. He is the forerunner. He is the prophet of the Most High. He is not the light but he came to bear witness of the light. Now, Scripture is pretty consistent in its treatment of John. Later on in the book of John, the the priests and the Levites would send people to, uh, to John, asking him, who are you? And he says, I'm not the Christ. 
And they said, what then? Are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. Well, then who are you? And he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I'm just a voice. Don't even pay attention to who I am. Look to where I'm pointing. Look to whom I'm telling you about. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is what John is. He is a voice. He is a prophet. He was always pointing people to the who of salvation. And this is the way it should be with all of God's ministers. And they delight in hearing, not so much the congregation say, that was a great sermon, but rather, what a great Savior we have. The true messengers of God, that's what they want you to know, that you have a great Savior, and they, they themselves are just a what? just a a sign pointing towards Christ. Like son, like father, just as John will point to, not to himself, but to Christ, so too will Zechariah. That's probably the first thing that strikes you about this song. He doesn't really sing about his son. He's singing about Christ. That's the, the message of his song. You see, this song is prophecy. That's that's what it says here. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And so it's a little bit unlike, it's a little different than Mary's song. Mary's song is more like Hannah's song. It's more like a a psalm of praise. Zechariah's is more like a prophecy of what will happen. And this song is all about the salvation that God brings. That is the unifying theme of the whole thing. The first thing I want you to notice about this salvation is that it's all about God's work. That is to say, it's all about grace. It's all of grace. Salvation is not the culmination of human progress. It is not human effort. It is not some human invention. It is the result of God's effort. It's all about God's action. Look at it. If you were to look through it, you would see this. God visits. God redeems. God raises up a horn. God promises. God saves. God fulfills. God shows mercy. God remembers his covenant. God delivers. What do we do? Nothing. We, we are visited, we are redeemed, we are promised, we are saved, we are shown mercy, we are delivered. This is the gospel of grace, and to God alone be the glory. Your salvation is not even a cooperation with God. It is God's redeeming work to you. And notice the language here, too. God visits and redeems. This is much the language that we see in the Old Testament, especially when God comes down and visits his people in Egypt. And he redeems them out of slavery there. 
this language of redemption is the language of buying someone out of slavery. And so the implication is that until Christ comes to save us and redeem us, we were powerless. We were enslaved. We were helpless. But God raised up a Savior. Here he calls him a horn of salvation. And sometimes people take this as like a, like a cornucopia or something, a horn of blessing. But what it more likely is, is the horns of an animal. That's where all the power of the animal is focused. It's like the point of the spear. God's saving work then is accomplished through Jesus Christ, like an animal's power is focused through his horn. David himself sang about him in 2 Samuel 22. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Also note that this salvation is the fulfillment of prophecy. It's not a new idea that comes. It is something that has been foretold through God's holy prophets of old. Two prophets, like we could go through the whole Bible and see this. It's all pointing to Christ. I could spend the whole rest of the sermon on that. I'm not going to. But there's two promises in particular that are held out for us in Zechariah's song. First, there is God's promises to David in verse 69. And there is God's promises to Abraham in verse 73. You might remember Matthew, Matthew 1.1. It talks about how Jesus was the, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These two great promises, these two covenants, is really one covenant, this covenant that was promised to Abraham that God would be uh, a God to him and to his seed after him, and that uh, in his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then later on we see that more focused through the family of David. God will raise up a king to rule on David's throne from his line forever. And this is where their hope was. This is where Zechariah's hope was. Notice he says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He doesn't say, in the house of his servant Levi. If he was talking about John the Baptist, he would say Levi, right? John, uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth, they are the house of Levi. He is talking about the house of David. He is talking about the Lord Jesus. That is the one to whom he is looking for help. That's who he's singing about. And uh, the promises that he points to, that he's thinking of, that he's been reflecting on, no doubt, for the past nine months, particularly of Abraham and David, and these are fulfilled in Jesus. Luke, uh, Luke will point this out in Acts 13. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to seek corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. The promises to Abraham, the promises to David are fulfilled in Christ. They point 
to Christ, just as John himself points to Christ, as Zechariah points to Christ. All God's saving work accomplished through Christ, like the point of a horn. All the promises are yes and amen in Christ. All the covenants fulfilled by Christ, like a thousand fingers of a thousand holy men through history, all pointing to him, all crying out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God's plan is to unite all things in Christ. All things were made by him and for him. Christ holds all things together. He is preeminent in all things. In him, all the fullness of God dwells bodily. And God has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing. All things point to Christ. He is the center. He is the head. He is the firstborn from the dead. And he is coming. He is coming again with salvation in his hand. So lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Is this not someone to sing about? And then there is the question of why. Why does God come to save us? We see why in verse 74 and 75. In a word, it is to serve him that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You see, the gospel is wonderful news of God's grace in which you do nothing. It is all done for you. But you must remember that the gospel is not the end. It is the means to the end. You cannot serve God so long as you are always rebelling against God, so long as you're always disobeying him, turning away, running away, so long as you are enslaved in sin. God has freed you, but he has not, did not free the Israelites in the wilderness to say, just go wherever you feel like going. He, he had a place for them. He had a direction for them. God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. And it is the same here. God saves that we might serve. This service is related to salvation. It is the, the effect of salvation. Remember that you don't confuse these two things, that you don't get them in the wrong order. The service does not lead to salvation. You are not saved by works. But you are not saved so that you might continue in sin either. You are saved that we might be holy. You were saved that you might serve God. This is often forgotten because we imagine a God who just saves everybody. Just to do whatever you want to do. And God, God's okay with it. He's just loving to everyone. God has saved us for a purpose. And we ought to highlight these purposes in Scripture so we know what the great plan of all of it is. Here in Zechariah's song, we see where all history is pointing. If you were to sum up history, you know, what would you focus on? What would, you, what would you highlight? What's the direction? Where is it going? What's the point of it all? And we would see that the point of it all is you. 
being saved, that you might serve God. That is the great story here. God saves us for service. This service is to be, first of all, without fear. And this means complete freedom and security from our enemies. Yes, this would include, eventually, one day, freedom from all our political enemies, physical enemies. But this is not the point of his song. Not that God's going to come and destroy all the Romans so that Israel can be at peace. We still have tribulation. We still have wars. We still have persecution. And we will continue to have persecution until Jesus returns. But primarily, it is a freedom from sin. And that is what we see here in verse 77 that John would go to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That is what he's talking about. Some people think Zechariah is thinking primarily of, of freedom from the Romans. I think that's wrong. Zechariah might not know the future, but he is speaking by the Holy Spirit here, and the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he means. It is salvation from sin. So it will be a salvation uh, so that we might serve God without fear. And um, it is also going to be uh, salvation that we might serve God in holiness and righteousness. This is the character of our saved life, that we are set apart to holy obedience. And this refers not just to worship on Sunday, but offering up our whole lives to God as a living sacrifice. We see this language in, in Romans chapter 12. We offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. Thirdly, we are to serve before him. And this is the part that's probably the easiest to overlook in, this, in these verses. But don't let it pass you by without noticing it. It's really the most wonderful part of it all because in our service, we will be in God's presence. We will be before God. And this is priestly language. It's the language that, that Zechariah enjoyed nine months earlier that he would be able to approach God and to serve before God. We can do that now. You are a holy priesthood. It's also the language of family, that you can approach God as your father, that you might be with him. And this is the great, the great privilege that we have as serving God. If someone were to offer you a job, maybe not that great of a job, you might think, but it's all, you're going to be working on the beaches of Fiji. You would think, eh, you know, I might take that position because because the location is so wonderful. But who cares about Fiji? In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. In his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The service of God is really the most pleasant place you could ever be because you'll be in his presence. You will see God. Fourthly, we will serve him all our days, forever. But it begins here, uh, and this is the why of salvation, that we might serve God 
freedom from our enemies, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And this, this is why you are saved. Saved to serve God. There's two errors that often pop up here. First, that you are saved by your own works or by some combination of works. Don't fall into that error. Saved by grace alone. Secondly, there is the error of cheap grace. That we are saved, that you might not even worry about sin. Sin's not a big deal. If you can continue to serve God, to serve whatever you want, you've got your ticket punched. You're going to heaven. Go ahead and live for yourself. You prayed the prayer. The Bible speaks against both of these things. You are saved by grace. You are saved to be holy. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy before him. Saved by grace, but also saved for good works. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is the biblical message. And so knowing that is the case and knowing how wonderful that is, we should strive to get our lives into conformity with God's plan. Now, Zechariah then turns from this, this singing about the purpose of this great salvation to singing about his newborn son's role in it. And now I like to imagine this old priest holding his newborn baby in his arms and speaking to him for the very first time. And you, child, will be the prophet of the Most High God. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. What a phrase that is. The tender mercy of our God. That's something for us to meditate on today. Here it is described as a light to those who sit in darkness. The, the imagery is really like that of travelers, going somewhere, and then darkness overtakes them. And they're now helpless. They can't see where they're going. They cannot protect themselves. And then a light shines on them, showing them the way, leading them to peace. Isaiah 9:2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Isaiah 42, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Malachi 4.2, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. The darkness is a picture of, of sin. It's a picture of being lost. Light is a picture of joy, laughter. It is a picture of, of purity and also revelation. All this is accomplished by Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. His life was the light of men, John says. Friends, do you know him? Do you know this one of whom Zechariah sings? Do you know anything of this light? 
shining in your life? Do you know anything of the, pre, the peace that he brings? Have you put your trust in him alone for this great salvation? And if you have, do you strive to serve him in holiness and righteousness? Are you striving to conform your life to his great purposes for you? Oh, it is a glorious gospel of a glorious Savior. But it is no use for you to just know about it if it does not lead you to actually, personally, turn to Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you have, then like Zechariah, let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a great Savior and that tender mercy of you, our God, has been poured out for us, rescuing us, redeeming us, raising up a horn of salvation for us, visiting us, remembering us, fulfilling your covenant, giving us peace. Lord, we thank you for our our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would again amaze us, that our mouths would open up like Zechariah's with praise and expectation, that our hearts would, would be filled with faith, that we might rejoice in you. Help us, Lord, to to live the way you have called us to live, to do what you have saved us to do, that we might serve you in holiness and righteousness before you all our days. And we thank you, Lord, for holding us fast. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.